Hi, Gauri here. We've collected the best insights from the first 20 Knowledge Base Ninjas episodes into a clear and concise ebook. Simply send a blank email to ninja at bcast.email. That's ninja at bcast.email and it will be sent right back to you. Thank you. Welcome to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. Where Gauri Ramkumar of Document 360 finds the best SaaS self-service knowledge bases in the world and then interviews their creators. Let's get started with today's episode. Good day everyone. Our guest today is David Fostai, Product Documentation Manager at Mevenlink. Welcome to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, thank you. Um, Super. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm good doing good. Thank you. And once again, once again I appreciate the time you spent uh you're going to spend with us in this podcast. So, let's straight away get into the context. Um I have uh, gone through your profile and this lot of experience you've gained over uh the years so please introduce a little bit more about yourself and how long you've been doing documentation and how did you initially got into documentation please yeah um well i uh i i'm sort of lucky that uh technical writing is has sort of been a, a confluence of all the things i really love to do uh and i've been doing you know from a very young age which is you know writing and and making art and you know even teaching myself computer programming languages so i could do things like write my own ascii or um te- text based adventure games and and we're talking dos era here if if that tells you anything but um i fell into technical writing <clears throat> somewhat serendipitously about 20 years ago i had just finished up my first college degree and i was doing front end web design and hawking high-end retail electronics to work my way through uh, another round of college and one evening the CEO and founder of a small library automation company came into the store and uh, we started talking and, and we hit it off right away and he had been writing and maintaining all of his software's users manuals um since the beginning and keeping them up to date was eating up too much of his time so when he found out i had a background in not only writing but also computer science and graphic design he pretty much offered me a, a job on the spot which was great because you know my dream had been to work in software for years and so i was sort of in the right place at the right time it was kind of like a, a huge lucky break and i've been doing it and um, mostly loving it ever since um you know i i will say that a lot has changed uh in 20 years i came i came into the into the field at a time a transitional time actually when a lot of the technical writing content was physical like printed manuals and i mean i started out building documentation in structured frame maker and you know as our software grew the manuals also grew and some of them were jumping from 200 to 600 pages and 
I decided it was crazy to keep printing them. You know, every time the software updated, our entire backlog of manuals was instantly outdated. And uh, sending people obsolete manuals was a poor customer experience. And throwing them out, uh, you know, all, all that paper out was was costly and wasteful. So, you know, even providing PDFs to people was problematic since you had no control over what versions people had tucked away on their machines. So I started to research and was able to build and implement our first online help center um, so that we could, you know, we could generate and maintain it using a simple markup language. And, and, you know, hopefully there's a grove of trees somewhere out there that's still alive. Thanks to me. So I don't know. Fantastic. So that's a, that's a great experience, uh, David. So, um, so I'm guessing you might have turned a lot of paper-based uh, manuals into a computer-based um, material using any some software. So in that sense, what was your documentation process or what is your documentation process at Link, and who normally gets involved? Um, um, so it's not really a, a one-size-fits-all. I mean... I'll lightly dust over the individual contributor processes, like uh, you know, interview, research, identify the audience, the medium, draft, review, and publish. I mean, I think those things are standards. Uh, you know, there's givens for technical writers at any company, but um, at Mavenlink, I've really tried to emphasize the importance of words around uh, a larger, more holistic team process uh, that encompasses the entire customer journey. Uh, and the product life cycle. So because of this, our disciplines are pretty broad. And uh, so our documentation processes change depending on if we're developing content for new features, filling gaps in existing content or, or fixing mistakes. And, you know, we, we actually eat our own dog food and use the Mavenlink platform to manage documentation requests from internal employees. So, um, People outside the product organization, you know, everyone ranging from CSMs to sales to support, uh, they can they can um, put in a request, and then we prioritize those requests according accordingly and assign them to the appropriate appropriate writers. But but for most of our core product documentation, which is generally our very top priority, we we get involved at a very early early stage, and everything starts with a product inception where we get context for the content being developed uh, after that stories are written and assigned to a technical writer if a new feature needs anything from ux ui copy uh, contextual help in-app guides uh, api documentation local localization requirements feature announcements knowledge base articles release notes and you know and so on so from that point on, we attend daily and weekly meetings with the engineers and the designers, product managers, uh, as the features are being developed. And I can say, you know, without a doubt that our inclusion in that process helps the product team build more intuitive software. I think it's because we approach everything through the eyes of a user. So we're often able to, you know, ask questions during the process that help identify problems before they exist. And, you know, add to the fact that we're constantly testing the app and checking how it works during development, you know, in, in different staging accounts. If, I mean, you know, if we're having a, a, a hard time explaining a workflow, 
it's often the design or the workflow and not the words that, that need to be improved. So, you know, working closely with UX design on wireframes or prototype mocks really help us discover exactly how much text is needed in the interface to guide the user. And so, yeah, providing our feedback uh, coming from a user perspective can really influence how a feature works or gets designed. And, and that's a big part of how we work with the product team. Uh, as, a, as a documentation team, we have a collaborative weekly uh, review where we share what everyone's working on and provide feedback and constructive criticism. Uh, the more eyes we have on content, I think, you know, leads to better quality documentation and in turn, you know, a better, a better user experience. So, you know, all that, all that being said, you know, Mavenlink is the, the very epitome of the word agile. And so teams can work very differently one to another. Mm -hmm. And we often have to embrace that ambiguity and, you know, that comes with constant change and look for ways to improve and adapt our processes, you know, documentation wise as necessary. Super. So I think um, my next question is what are the important factors to consider when creating documentation? And you did mention more eyes um, on review gives you a better uh, documentation. So what other important factors do you consider, uh, David? Uh, without a doubt, I think the most important factor is consistency. Um, consistency in terminology, in tone, and voice is incredibly important. Uh, I mean, although it depends on the audience, I think our writing tends to be conversational in nature. So if we were a person we might be a teacher or a coach or a mentor, you know, someone who's empathetic uh, yet professional. And I sometimes tell my team to imagine that they're sitting down, you know, walking a user through a workflow and that user is their mother. And, you know, I mean, your mileage may vary with that analogy depending on your relationship with your mother. But um, another factor for me is consistency uh, in design layout. Uh, you know, the visual elements on the page. So it's important to consider the arrangement of text and images, um, being mindful to have line breaks that introduce white space and avoid giant walls of text. You know, we use a style guide that spells out specific grammar mechanics and usage use cases, uh, you know, like such as bolding words that, that reference buttons or navigational links, or sorry, labels in the interface. Um, you know, these, these sorts of things add visual anchors that make the content more skimmable and engaging and, uh, screenshots also, you know, screenshots are an art form mm -hmm. you know, in and of themselves. And I think most people do them wrong. Uh, I think good screenshots go a long way in helping uh, a user navigate your product. And when they're properly staged, like with actual, like real data, they serve as a preview that demonstrates to a user or, or even a potential prospect what their environment could look like when properly implemented. Um, you know, I, I think in the end, you, you don't really get a, a second chance to make a first impression and mm -hmm. poor writing or careless spelling errors and grammatical mistakes, those kinds of things like uh, they can quickly erode trust and create a really negative experience if 
if you're asking people to trust you with their sensitive information and you can't even spell the word sensitive correctly, you know, it puts people off. So, <laughs> you know, once, once you lose a user's trust, it's really hard to gain it back. Mm-hmm. And True. when enough of these little flaws add up, it, it can potentially turn into a lost revenue stream. True. Very true, David. So um, now after considering all these uh, important factors and having a very structured uh, process around documentation, have you seen any kind of reduction in your workload uh, since introducing such quality documentation? Um, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's mainly qualitative, right? But there's definitely been a a reduction in workload and not just for our clients. Um, I see it a lot internally, you know, where where quality documentation acts as like a a single source of truth that contains all of our company's tribal knowledge. So it helps new employees onboard and ramp up. I've had a number of of new uh, engineers tell me how useful they found the knowledge base when they were just starting out. And they were trying to figure out how some, you know, obscure area of the product worked. And they referenced the knowledge base and to figure that out. And I think it also helps more tenured employees quickly reference information they may have forgotten, or, you know, or, you know, um, it's also really not very uncommon these days to see CSMs in our professional services team um, respond to frequently asked questions in Slack uh, just by, you know, providing a link to the knowledge base. Like that's, you know, someone asks a question and they just pop a link down and then that's their answer. And our support team uses the knowledge base for case deflection and our training team works uh, knowledge base links into their training collateral for clients to reference later. So, um, you know, also, you know, quality documentation that is clear and concise and, and free of colloquialisms and idioms, like they uh, make that's easier to translate when it's time for localization. So I think mm-hmm. it, it clears out all the low hanging fruit and it gives our engineers and our support time or sorry, support team uh, the space they need, uh, you know, to solve the bigger issues and, and the higher priority uh, items. True, true. That that's very true, uh, David. And uh, I remember you mentioning most of your documentation are public facing one. So have you um, is Mavinlink currently generating any organic search traffic from your knowledge base? Yeah, uh, I'd say I mean last about around thirty percent of all our traffic comes from organic search. Um, so any any particular category or article uh, you've um, uh, that's caught your eyes in some in terms of generating this organic traffic yeah funnily enough uh gantt charts so you know we have an integrated gantt chart and it gets a lot of organic uh you know traffic and you know i think uh, i've even heard uh maybe this is secondhand that someone you know uh said that you know our our GAN documentation was better than their own and they would reference people to ours to figure out how to use it. So um, you know, but I, I'd say that most of our trafficked articles come from areas in our app, you know, where we provide contextual help links. I think more than more than anything, those, you know, drive a ton of people to the so knowledge base. Super. So uh, what do you mean by designing words, uh, David? Um, so 
I mean that content isn't a band-aid. I think uh, uh, not all user UX or design problems can be fixed by ring, by bringing writers in at the end, and that you know writers should be involved during the early stages of conception and planning as it can take a long time to roll out the perfect messages for each product. You know, the, the earlier a writer's brought in, the better a product will be. And, you know, like, uh, I think there's this idea that the UX, you know, will design uh, like an error message or something in the app and that writers uh, are brought in at the last minute to sort of ice, put icing on the cake, so, you know, so to speak. And I really do, do feel that um, writers should be helping bake the cake because if a designer gives you, you know, a space of 250 characters to, to put in a, a message, you may find out, you know, that the user really requires something larger to, to accomplish their goals. And, you know, these days, I think words and content that writers create end up representing the face and the voice of your product. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, a writer ends up being one of only a handful of people who your customers really interact with during their product journey. Um, so it's not, it's not enough to have really great content in just the knowledge base. You need to make sure that you are bringing that consistency of terminology and language and voice and tone across to the user interface um, or anywhere there's a, a touch point or a potential client interaction. Um, it just creates a better cohesive user experience. And, you know, if you don't pay as much attention to the words being used in the actual interface as you do, say, in your marketing content or, or in the knowledge base, it ends up creating this disconnect and sending a message and probably not the message you want to communicate, which is, you know, we don't care. So you, you might as well have intentional control of that message. And since, you know, someone has to be responsible for those words, it makes sense that the team who is creating the other documentation, you know, for the sake of consistency of, you know, like, again, of language, of tone and, and voice, are those people who are, who are doing that. So um, designing with words is designing, you know, with a conversation uh, and an experience. Fantastic. That, that's really great, uh, David. Um, so you helped us learn a little bit more today um, by explaining what designing words means. That's great. So let's quickly move on to rapid fire round now. Uh, who have you learned the most about documentation from in your career? Oh, um, I, I think the professors I had in college uh, when I was getting my, my degree in design, uh, they, they taught that any, any type of successful visual communication is really uh, about like a, a marriage. It's, it's a harmony between the design and the typography. So it's the, the merging of you know, design and words. And, you know, one of my favorite exercises um, is to show people what like very popular user interfaces like Facebook or Amazon look like when they're stripped of words. So if you take away all the words, all the content, you know, it's just a bunch of boxes with rounded corners for the most part. And like I said, it's worth saying if there are no words, you've got no product. But um, but honestly, I think when I think about it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I came in 
to it, you know, fairly early. There wasn't the blogs and, and the, the kind of sites available in, in the, you know, these days. And I, I'm pretty much self-taught. So most of everything I really needed to learn ended up coming from the user. Nice. Great. Yeah. Super. So can you share a documentation related resource you have consumed recently? Um, <clears throat> recently, I've been consuming a lot of articles about how to build better products uh, with UX writing and how technical writing plays a critical role in product adoption. But uh, although it's not recent, uh, I'll, I'll kind of going on the theme here of UX and usability, I'll, I'll do something a little different and recommend a book by Steve Krug called Don't Make Me Think. And uh, it's a little, he's a little too anti-words at times, um, but, you know, like, like I said, my goal is always to be concise, but, you know, you really need to have exactly as many words as are necessary to achieve, uh, for a user to achieve their goals. But I do think it's a good book to talk about, you know, um, how to, to test things with users and see, you know, how to make things more um, streamlined. And it's, it's a good resource that you can easily equate into technical writing and documentation practices. All right. So what is that one piece of documentation related advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Uh, I'd say learn early how to more effectively communicate the value of technical writing to others. Um, especially decision makers in your company. I, I think that not everybody sees or understands the value of technical writing. And I've spent a really good portion of my career trying to convince people why words matter. And, you know, one of the reasons I think is because everybody writes, you know, every day, but, but not everybody writes well. And, you know, I, I once worked with a technical writer who was fond of saying that, you know, bad writers don't know they're bad. So I think it's important to, to find your advocates and your natural allies in the company and, um, and have, you know, and evangelize yourself and, and learn to communicate, you know, and show your worth. Because, you know, if, if we're doing our jobs right, you know, 99% of, of what we do is completely invisible. You know, if, if, if there's no weird grammatical errors and everything reads well, people don't notice. But the minute you have like a, a weird spelling error or, you know, a missing period, someone, you know, will, will take note of that. So, uh, yeah, I definitely say learn how to, to, to effectively communicate the value of technical writing. Fantastic. That's great, David. So I think we are very close to our end of the episode. Uh, would you like to add a few more words to the audience before we say bye to them? Uh, uh, no, I think uh, I think I'm pretty good. Okay. I just think that you know I I said like there's a lot uh, you know in my brain from years of, of doing this and and there's so many different avenues and, and takes on on what you can talk about documentation but. I really appreciate you having me and I really love what you're doing. I think it's a great resource for people. You know, I think, you know, that advice I, I would give myself as a 20 year old is sort of what you are doing here in this podcast is you're sort of uh, effectively communicating the value of what we do to the world. And, and I think it's, a, it's such a great thing to, for that exposure. And, 
I think that, you know, technical writing is sort of in a, another transitional phase right now where it's growing. And I think more and more companies are, are really starting to see the value um, that it brings. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's more than just, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of. Like a mainstream, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like the, the the you know the writers play a big role in making your entire product better, you know, and and small subtle changes have such a big impact on customer satisfaction and engagement. And you know, those words are are vital to get right because they can create long lasting you know customers. Uh, and you know, we're we're it gives a, you know good writing gives a company a competitive advantage. I think you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally agree, David. So that that's really great. And I know you had lots to talk because it's just not few years of experience. It's uh, it's a twenty year of writing experience, and you did start your career as a UX uh, uh, writer and then a technical writer, and now a documentation uh, uh, product manager. So that that's that's a, a great journey to have. So. I know, I, I think you've really condensed a lot of information in this uh, 30 minutes. So thank you once again for the time you have spent with us today. And it was a great episode uh, interviewing you, uh, David. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. Please head to iTunes, rate, and provide honest feedback on the podcast. See you next week.